Hi. No wheels. There. Actually, I'm going to move this that way. I don't think I'm going to bother with that today. Now, if I don't fall over getting into this chair, we'll be doing great. Otherwise, it's going to be a great YouTube blooper that will be seen over and over and over, and I finally would be famous. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, that, that, it's great. so glad you're here. So glad you guys are here. It's so it's so good to see people on the mend, and, and uh, it makes me think of that old adage that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Oh, wait. That's not in the Bible anywhere. First Corinthians, he says, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will offer a way of escape. And that's where people get that idea that, frankly, is blasphemy, that we cannot, or that God won't give us anything more than we can handle. Now, the, the trick there once you, you hear that from somebody, is to graciously say that wonderful Greek word I use for such things. That would be baloney, right? Um, I can tell you that so many of us, and I've been here a long time now and seen, uh, have seen a lot of you go through a lot of things, we can't get through this on our own. And uh, one of the things, you see that little picture up there, uh, that I, I worked on this week. I worked pretty hard on that. Not that hard, but it was, I, I, had, to, I had to do a little bit of graphics work. It wasn't just cut and paste on that. But um, you see that, you see these pictures of the guy on the stairs with the cross? That could not be me this week. Also, if that cross is really big, you might need a little bit of help, right? Yet we have this passage that we're going to look at today that says in order to be Jesus' follower, his disciple, that we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. Now, one of the things that I, I has brought to my mind, in, in is, and we will read that passage here in a moment, um, is how the act of bearing a cross is not something we can do by ourselves. Even Jesus didn't do that by himself. Now, that's not necessarily something that we we think of. We, we kind of start making ourselves the martyr at that point, right? The sufferer, the, the one who is uh, enduring the hardship for the sake of the gospel. But in this thought, we have two different prevailing views within the church. We have the ch church as a sending organization, a sending body, or we have the church as the club. And if it's a club, then we do a pretty good job at, you know, kind of trying to make nice people nicer. I had a seminary professor that said that <laughs> along the way. He said, you know, we, we, we don't really end up seeing the transformative power of the gospel when our goal is just to see people, nice people become nicer. Or we see the power of the gospel is when we see one, together 
we follow the instruction of Jesus to take up our cross daily and then to follow Him. And so much of the Christian life is found in that principle. And so as we look at this passage today, we're going to be going, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, and invite you to turn there. We're not going to dive deeply into a lot of the theological ramifications as much as we are going to think about what God has called us to do because of his great love for us and really how we cannot do that by ourselves. So, Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, The man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Father, such a great challenge here, and and I believe it's it's a great disconnect to understanding the Christian walk. We we come with an idea that peace means no more problems. But Lord, peace is your presence. And may we encounter you today and find the ways that, that you have, have guide, you do guide our lives. Follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are any questions? <laughs> There's only a few things in this passage, right? One of the the pictures that was drawn for me as I was studying through this passage was how Jesus was living in these times. Remember, Jesus, for all practical circumstances, was homeless. He led an itinerant ministry a band of fishermen and tax collectors and uh, whatever other occupation the disciples might have had, along with women and people who followed around and listened to what he had to say. And more than likely, many of the crowds that followed him were with him because they were on their way to the same kinds of places whether it would be to Jerusalem for a festival, whether it would be Galilee to go fishing. But many of the crowds just flocked to hear him and what he had to say because it was just so different and it was spoken 
as, as it was uh, testified as one with authority. It was different. So they followed him. They, 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 and it also speaks to the kind of lives that those folks lived in those days. I remember right now, I've used this illustration before, and it brought up my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother lived on 12 acres by herself for a very long time. Um, my grandfather passed away in, in 1988, and she didn't move out of her house that he built for her until 2008. And so she, but when they first bought that land, they owned a hundred and something acres, 150, somewhere in there. And it, and it went down the hill and across the way. But during my lifetime, they only owned the 12 acres. And what she used to say, we used to own the freeway. And they did. That land that the freeway passed through. And so you could hear the cars. It wasn't terribly far. It wasn't right next to the freeway, but it was probably a good half mile. You could see the freeway, and you could hear the cars going past. And I remember her saying, where are they all going? Do you ever wonder that when you're driving on the road? And, and I've even thought in my last couple of months, as the majority of my time has been immobile, <laughs> all these people that are going past, where are they going? The question we must answer is, who do we follow? And when we see the ministry of Jesus, we see that they were literally following him along the way. They were listening to what he had to say. But then he basically lays a gauntlet that is impossible for them to understand in that context. This is during his life. This is not before his crucifixion. And he brings up some really strange things along the way. He sees these people wandering around behind him, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children, they could not be my disciple. But doesn't that counter what we learn in Exodus chapter 20 and even further forward in the New Testament, as Paul says to that children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, that husbands love your wives and submit to one another as to the Lord and, and those kinds of things? Well, I think if we use our logical minds, which in the 21st century, logic, <laughs> it's thrown over here. But what, what we come to the point is, is that when we see our allegiance to the Lord, it is a far stronger and a far more permanent and a, and a much more devoted relationship that we should even have with our own family. You know, I've been married for 21 years. That's a long time. And, and I am thankful that my wife is devoted to me. And I'm thankful that we can share those burdens together along the way. But I know as I see her life, her priorities on Christ. And that my challenge in that is to reflect that for her as well. That my first passion is for Jesus. And when you set your heart and your soul and your mind on Him, as it says in the greatest commandment, then we, we see how this works out. Because then you wonder, how could we possibly love anyone more than we love our Lord and what He has done for us? And then he draws this picture that ultimately is the fulfillment of his life when he says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must take up their own cross 
daily and follow me. Now, to disciple, the root word is disere, which means to learn. A disciple simply is a learner. You know, you have had many people that you have learned from through your life, that they served as a master to your discipleship. In whatever field you work in, in whatever jobs you've had, you know, I've worked in two or three different major career things, and you can see that there are people who really know what's going on with it, and then there's me. I can see people, you know, I was a music teacher for a long time, and I can see people who really know how to do that job. And then there was me. But those, I'll, come, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it because I'm going to forget to say it later. There are still former students of mine and teachers I worked with who didn't know anything about music that thought I was an amazing music teacher, the best they'd ever had, to which I laughed because I saw people who could really do it. But it mattered to them because I was the person that was teaching them. And they learned something from me they hadn't learned from anybody else. And, and I would say that you've had somebody like that in your life where you would say that they may not be the best auto mechanic ever, and it may take them five years to finish a car versus a few days where it may be for somebody who's been to the trade schools to learn those kinds of things. But guess what? You're the person that taught them how to change the oil or whatever. You can chase that rabbit further. The fact is, is that we are all learners and we're all masters of something. And God calls us to teach our trade. But he calls us to first be lashed to the master. Because he is the one who sets that bar for us, for lack of a better term. And how are we supposed to do it? We lay everything in this world, the most precious things of this world, aside compared to our devotion to Him. Now, if you pay attention to the entirety of the Scriptures, He calls us to love one another as we have loved Him, as we love ourselves, right? So, He's not telling us that we are casting off everybody in our lives simply to follow Him. But it may look like that sometimes. One of the things I heard along the way in, in studying this passage is, is the missionary endeavor is, is a great illustration of this. Because why in the world would somebody leave the comforts of where they grew up in order to go live next to a ditch in the Amazon? Except that they are following Christ. Because Christ has sent them there. So that means we need to to be so in tuned with the master that we are willing to take those steps of, of uh, undivided devotion to him. Now, we make choices in our lives along the way where those around us are affected by it. I think of some of my friends, you met Adam and Susie Hales that were here uh, this time last year. Oh, wait, no, in June. I've lost track of when they were here. They were here in June talking about their, their work uh, with the International Mission Board. And they picked up their entire family. Their children were not called to the mission field the way they were. They picked up their family and they moved to Madagascar. 
and their two oldest girls are back in the United States now. Will they go to the mission field? Who knows? But they're not there now the same way their parents are in Kenya. They've moved to Kenya from Madagascar. Yet they still have two children that are with them. The choices that we make affect those who are around us. And when we follow Christ. And so our responsibility along the way is to follow him first. Those of you who are parents, most of you all in here, but um, not everybody, understand well, on either side of this, perhaps your family picked up and moved in the middle of your life when you were a kid, and you said, but I like my friends. But your, your parents were your masters at that point, and you went with the family. You followed the one who was in charge. And it's that same reflection that we have here. How does Jesus call us to follow him, to take up our cross daily. And along the way, and I think this reflects in the church life as a whole, he tells us to count the cost of doing such a thing. And this plays out in church budgets. This plays out in, in looking at the things we have and realizing that God has called us to be stewards of his resources in order to reach more people for him. And count the cost of where we are. For which of you, in verse 28, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has, not, whether he has enough to complete it? The greatest resource you have in your life is first the Lord, but then it's you. You're not taking any of that stuff with you. More than anything, it'll probably be a burden to you. I was listening to an illustration this morning of a, of a guy who was going to climb a mountain in Europe. I can't remember, Mont Blanc, I think it was. And he went with a group, and the, uh, the, the trail guide said, you only want to take this much stuff. You want to take the bare minimum to carry. You want to take an ice pick, and you want to take food. Well, this guy decided that he wanted to take a camera, and he wanted to take a tent, and he wanted to take this, and he take that. And he decided, I'll prove you all wrong. I'm going to leave early. So he went and climbed the hill, and the group followed a little later. And along the way, they found a camera lens, and they found a backpack, and they found a blanket. All of these extra things. And they finally met him at the top. Do you know what he had with him? What that guide told him to take in the first place. All that extra stuff just became a burden to him. To radically follow Jesus Christ means we realize that the things of this earth, as it says in the song, will grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, we don't need all that stuff anymore. And anybody who's moved, you realize, why did I have all that in the first place? I've realized that over the last couple of months as I've not been able to move around so much. All these things start getting in the way. <laughs> You're like, why do I have this junk? That's what it is. 
when we set our eyes on the cross and we take up our cross, that's what God calls us to do, is to bear that. But we can't do it alone. He calls us to bear one another's burdens. We see the continuing illustration here about a man going to war, or a king going to war, and he began to, uh, uh, well, sorry, verse 29 is first. Otherwise, he who has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it begin to mock him. Going back to thinking about that, um, I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother and grandfather, before my grandfather passed away, they had this property, and they called it the lot behind the junior college. This is in Sherman, Texas, and uh, Grayson County College. and um, So I'm picturing it there like Pueblo Community College, Right? The college is there. There's a vacant lot next to it. Well, then they took me out to the lot behind the junior college. Well, the junior college was built on the old Air Force Base, and it was outside of town, and there was a neighborhood probably a half mile away that was behind it. And it was where a house, I think the house had been started, and then it caught fire, and, and the, you know the, the, nobody ever lived in it right? But there was just a slap. And it makes me think of this picture that he draws here. That somebody has this grand idea. And I've had those ideas in my own life, honestly. You have this idea of something that's supposed to happen, and you don't think about everything along the way that you need to get it taken care of. To be a disciple means that we look at our own lives and decide to cast off those things like that guy climbing the mountain. Realize that there's, there's one thing we're called to carry, and that's the cross. Why? The cross was a picture of execution. Think about Carrying, and again, this illustration has been drawn before, but it's effective, carrying an an electric chair. How how ridiculous would that look? But it's basically taking and carrying with you the tool of your own demise. And when we carry the cross, we are reminded of what Jesus does on that cross for us. Realizing that that price that we can't pay has been paid permanently and eternally by Him. And the way we live our lives then reflects what He has done for us. So to carry our cross means that we look at our own sin and we get rid of it because that's what Jesus kills on the cross. And to realize that the burdens that we still carry in our lives, and I think about the last two months of my life, it fell on September 13th, today's November 14th. All of a sudden, I needed a lot of help. And we're always going to be in that spot somewhere in our lives. And that's who he calls the body of Christ to be. So you think of this, you know, the, the title of this is the cross-carrying. And I think of this cross-carrying member of the body of Christ, his church. You've heard the terminology of the card-carrying member, right? Where you 
have a membership to whatever organization it may be, and it gives you some kind of special privilege. I think about maybe a sticker on your windshield to get you into the state park or as a parking pass so you don't have to pay a, you know, the parking fee. I remember being in college and in seminary, I always had a parking pass stuck to my car so I wouldn't get a ticket. That proved I was a student at that school. Or that proves that I have paid my way to get into somewhere. Here's the deal is that when we carry the cross, Christ has paid the way. And it's not that we're saving ourselves. It's that we are reminded of who has saved us. And at what price that has been paid. And when we realize that ultimately... We lay down our own preferences. We lay down our own desires. We, we cast off all the things we feel like we need along the way so that we might climb that hill, or in my case, climb those stairs <laughs> that, that God carries us along the way as well. And he gives us the body of Christ to make that happen. So the Christian life is not one to what to, to be lived in isolation from one another. Somebody who says that they can go out into the mountains and worship the Lord, that's, that's good. You should be in wonder at His creation. But that tree's not going to pick you up and carry you if you fall down on the trail. Is it? Might be able to make a walking stick out of it. Guess what that looks like? Maybe a cross. The cross reminds us of whom we serve. I will cling to the old rugged cross. Why? Because that's where the price has been paid. We were reminded that we in ourselves are weak. We cannot do it ourselves. And Lori did such a beautiful job singing that song earlier. We come in adoration of the Lord because of what he has done. But also because of what he is doing. We live in a world that desperately needs to see our dependence on Jesus. Let's say that again. We live in a world that desperately needs to see our dependence on Jesus. I can't do it. But he already has. So instead of that burden, we are reminded that the cross is a picture of our dependence on him. And so then, he calls us together to cast our burdens upon him. And he carries us along the way. And I, and I really believe that as the Spirit inhabits the church, he, he helps us carry each other. To take that next step. But I can't take your step. I'm having a hard enough time with my own. <laughs> I was thinking about the other day, 
uh, Nathan was being really sweet, and, and he said, Dad, I don't want you to, to walk up the stairs because I'm afraid you're going to fall. <laughs> Fair enough. But if I don't walk up the stairs, I'll never walk up the stairs. <laughs> Only when Nathan isn't watching. But I can tell you that even just over a few days for me, that I'm a lot better than I was at the first. But it's because of the help you get along the way. Sometimes you just got to have a little help. And Christ knows that we can't do it. That brings me all the way back to the beginning. Right? I knew I could bring it back. I didn't know if I was going to, but I could. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. It's a lie from the pit of hell. We can't handle our own lives. He gives us Jesus to save us. He is our salvation. And we take up our cross daily to be reminded of what he is doing daily to bring us to him. What does that mean? How does that look? Well, that can be reading your Bible every day. That can be telling somebody what you learned today. I think we, we are way out of practice on that. But it's a choice we have to make. You have to make a decision to tell somebody what God did in your life. You choose to obey. You know what choosing to obey shows? Love. Love for your master. So the first question is, do you know the master? Do you know Jesus? We talked about the Trinity this morning in our Bible study, and I could go another two hours, right? But I'm not going to. We talked about how the Spirit empowers us as the church to obey Him, to do what He wants us to. I can't do it. No, you can't. With the Spirit in you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Go read Philippians 4 and see how it all works together. doesn't mean I'm going to be jumping jumping jacks today, okay? It means I can trust God to guide me in each step. And right now, they're kind of slow. Do you know him? And are you willing to follow the master? Even to the point of death. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, death on the cross. Following Jesus is risky. Because you give up all your control. Realize that He sets your destiny for eternity when you trust in Him. There's nothing harder to do in this world than to trust somebody else did it. Right? There's always something that you think somebody did and you go up and realize, oh no, that's why I got to go and do it myself. 
Well, God, in his great love for us, sent his son. And he calls us to trust him. Will you carry your cross and follow him? Let's pray. Our Father, you are good. You've paid the price for our sins on that cross. And I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded the radical obedience you call us to today. To live in a way that blesses you. To repent of our sin. To turn away and turn back to you. To trust you this day. I thank you, Father, for loving us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your healing. I pray now that beyond all the, um, the physical ailments that we are all facing, that you would heal our hearts before you to draw us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing, I have decided to follow Jesus.